September this month is shaping up to be a very important month in the life and the history of Virginia Highland Church. We are in our 99th year. We are approaching the threshold of our 100th birthday coming up. And we have crafted a new vision and strategic plan that the parish council is going to review today. And then you, the congregation, get a chance to see it two weeks from today on the 25th. We have spent the last nine months working with a consultant, helping us to learn and converse and discern and shape this document, which we're really excited about, will be unveiled to you for your comments, your suggestions, ways that it can be better, stronger, tighter, very soon. And we're just excited about how that is gonna help shape our life as we cross this important threshold into our 100th year, prepare us for the next 100 years, or at least the first few of those next 100 years. So this is a really important month in the life of our church as this new plan comes into our conversation and consciousness. We hope it'll help us not only survive in these uh, interesting times, but indeed to thrive and continue to grow as a community, to continue to, continue to grow as a church. Now, I have taken, uh, I don't know how many, 10, 20 different seminars, courses. I've heard talks on church growth. I've read books on church growth. But the truth is, I'm going to be very honest with you, a little moment of vulnerability, I'm not completely sure what makes a church grow. And I'm very suspicious at this point of anybody who comes in and says, hey, here are the five things a church needs to do to grow. Well, okay, but how do you know me? How do you know my church? How can you tell us exactly the five things that we need to do? Church growth Church strategic planning has to be done from within by the congregation, and that's why I'm excited about the process that we've been in, because we're the experts to know what it means for this congregation to really grow and claim who God is calling us to be into the future. Now, one of the, uh, one of the things I heard from one of these church growth specialists that sort of threw me, he said that when a person leaves the church, whether they leave because they're angry about something or they just sort of drift away, he said, don't waste your time going after them. Don't bother following up with them. They've moved on and so should you as the pastor, as the church leader. And I was just like, wait, what? And he actually said, with all due respect to the parable of the lost sheep, don't waste your time. Well, I, I want you to know I have been a terrible steward of that advice. I have repeatedly and routinely pursued follow-up with people who have left any church that I've served, whether it's that they, you know, got angry and stormed out about something or they just sort of gradually drifted away. I've, I've always wanted to know, you know, tell me more about your experience, help us be more faithful to who we aspire to be, let me know about your experience. Uh, because and of course, hoping they might come back, but really, I just want them to be, feel heard and seen and, and that their last experience of the church, if this is it, will be a positive, loving, caring uh, presence. But I will say that that expert's advice on church growth uh, has turned out to be rather true in some respect because of the dozens of people I have followed up with, I can think of two or three times when it actually resulted in somebody coming back 
to the church. So he was at least right on that score, but I think I'm going to still be following up with people who uh, happen to leave for whatever reason. But that does lead us to this passage this morning, which raises similar questions about going after the lost. We have this story about a woman who loses a coin and she searches the entire house to find that coin and when she finally finds it, she, she throws a party, which is, which is an interesting result. Most of us would probably not think to throw a party when we've lost a coin or, or even our phone. We're mostly just glad we found it, worried about the time we spent you know, looking for it and, and how backed up we now are. But this woman, she has a party. Okay, great. Jesus also says, which of you... If you had a hundred sheep and you lost one, wouldn't you leave the 99 and go after the one that was lost? And the, the obvious answer to that is no, <laughs> of course not. No shepherd in their right mind would leave the 99 sheep and go after the one that was lost. I mean, that's completely irresponsible, right? You've got to take care of the sheep that you had. If you, if you leave them alone, they're, they're vulnerable to predators, to those who might steal the sheep. No, 1% loss in business is a totally acceptable amount of loss, right? Stick with the 99 you have, let that other one go. That's how we often think. Well, as is so often true, whenever Jesus, Rabbi Jesus, tells us a parable, which are these provocative stories, whenever we find an element that doesn't make sense, that doesn't compute, that leaves us confounded, we are on the verge of discovering something amazing about who God actually is. Jesus told these parables about the lost coin and the lost sheep in response to Pharisees, professional religious people, criticizing him for hanging out with the wrong people, for people they considered and counted as lost. Some scholars actually think that Jesus was one of the Pharisees. And if that's true, in this story, they're not only being critical of Jesus, they were saying, in effect, you can't be one of us because of the company that you keep. I have a friend who is a pastor in a very conservative denomination. His name is Jeff. And for the first half of his ministry, when he was in North Carolina, he was very active in the pro-life movement and did a lot of work with the pro-life movement, was an activist in that movement. But there was something different about Jeff, something very special. Even though this was what he was convinced of and had given his life to, was very passionate about this issue, he wanted to be in conversation and dialogue with people who saw it differently. And he would advertise, hey, I'm going to be at this particular coffee shop at this date, at this time. I would love to be in conversation with anybody who's concerned about this issue. And let's just meet and share and talk. Let's talk civilly. Let's talk in a way that's healthy and respectful and, and learn from each other with no agenda of trying to convince others of our particular perspective. And for that, for consorting with the enemy for sharing time and table with lost unbelievers, his church put a lot of pressure on him. The wider church leadership, eventually the state kicked him out of the state for having 
honest, open, civil, healthy, respectful conversation with others. And then Jeff went to Connecticut, which is where I met him, and we became good friends. He told me what never occurred to his critics in North Carolina was that just because the church might have lost people or, you know, lost credibility with them doesn't mean they are actually lost. The same is true for all of us, I think, in one form or another. We might feel ourselves more comfortable staying with the 99 than going outside and finding that one. It's safer for us to stay at the lunch table with our friends than to go sit with the loner. It might be safer and more comfortable for us right here at snack time to talk to the people we already know, hello, rather than connecting with somebody who might be standing by themselves, wondering who might notice me. It's easier to keep walking than to have an actual conversation with somebody who might be experiencing homelessness. It might be easier to avoid that family member, that uncle who votes in that way because if we're seen talking to them at their reunion, some people might think that we have the same values. Going after that one sheep doesn't make sense. There are lots of good reasons not to do it. Looking for that one lost coin isn't always the best use of our time. The only time that makes sense, the only time it matters is when I am the lost sheep, right? When we're the lost sheep, it's not only important, it's not only matters, it's the only thing that really matters, that someone came looking for me. Feeling lost, being lost, is scary. As you know from personal experience, we feel totally alone. We feel completely out to sea. We're not sure if anyone will find us. There are times in my life, in my ministry, when I have felt completely lost. I served a church where on most days I wondered, what am I doing here? I would pull into my parking space and sometimes have to psych myself up to get out of the car and go into the building. Lost. Sometimes we appear to have it all together just as I appeared to have it all together in that particular church and yet deep down we are still feeling lost. Such as parents who want their children to succeed so much that they wrap their whole lives around soccer games and dance recitals and a dozen other things you can get lost in that. A career-minded person for whom moving up the ladder is a top priority. Those who work jobs they hate simply to give their families things they never had. The person who has a great pension but little sense of purpose after retirement. Teens who work so hard to be perfect, willing to do just about anything to fit in. The super-Christian who is constantly asking whether people have accepted Jesus into their hearts. All of these folks and all of us can be lost. We don't know 
Yesterday, last night, Ann and I went out on a date. And as we were walking through the parking lot, a parking lot, I happened to notice a Tesla. And, you know, Teslas, they, they kind of catch your eye. They're kind of snazzy and cool. And as I walked by this Tesla, I, I just happened to look inside. I know, a little nosy, probably shouldn't have done that. I looked inside the Tesla, and inside this Tesla, this beautiful fancy car, it was a wreck. There was like food containers and trash and clothing and just like everything you can possibly imagine was in this Tesla. It was just a complete mess. And I looked at it again and thought, is this really a Tesla? The Tesla drivers don't do this. Tesla drivers have their stuff together. And I realized, oh my gosh, I have a bias about Tesla drivers and the kind of people who drive Teslas. They are not messy people. Apparently, there's one, at least. Maybe when we sometimes think someone is lost, it says more about us and our biases than it does about the person or the driver. Only two people know for sure if someone is lost. Jesus and the person who is lost. They are the only ones with the authority to say who is lost. It's not our job to diagnose lostness. But there is a way to know, I think, if someone has been found by their humility. No lost sheep, I imagine, comes back to the fold on the shoulders of the shepherd bragging about their exploits. Those who boast of their own greatness, superiority, and power, I can't say for certain if they're lost, but I'm pretty sure they have yet to be found. There's a lot in the news these days about someone being a very, very, very sore loser and causing incredible harm in the way that they've handled being a sore loser. That's all over the news. But the good news of Scripture and of this passage and of this sermon, ironically, is that God, for very different reasons, is also a bad loser. God goes out on her own, searching for all those who've wandered off. And whenever one soul is lost and found and restored, there is great rejoicing in heaven. And maybe that's true for you today. Maybe you're the one who's feeling lost in some way. That's not for me. That's not for any of us to diagnose. Only you know if that's true. But there's one other person who knows that's true too. And that person, I believe, is longing to meet you here. And that person is already getting the party started because you have been found. Amen. Ashe. Namaste. Namaste.